Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it is still earnings season. A lot of big tech companies are reported, so we're going to look at the tech sector. We're going to go under the hood with Brad Slingerland, who is the portfolio manager of the Janus Global Technology Fund. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio, joined by our colleague, uh, Corey Drebush. Corey, how are you? Great. How are you? And we are also joined by Brad Slingerland, who is the portfolio manager at the Janus. He is portfolio manager of, I should say, Janus's Global Technology Fund. Brad, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, and as you can guess from our lineup, folks, we're going to talk a little bit about tech stocks today. Uh, good time to talk about it. We're still in the middle of earnings season. A lot of big tech companies have reported. We're going to take a little bit of a step back and look at the sector itself, why it's attractive, what might be going on there, why it might not be attractive, what you want to look for. So uh, let's start with Brad. Brad, you run the the tech fund. What? Uh, how, how? Give us some just some general detail on the fund. How big is it, and what, what's your focus? Uh, sure. the The Janus Global Technology Fund is about a two and a half billion dollar product strategy. We are we are a global fund. We invest in all aspects of technology all around the world. Um, it's a team of about ten of us that that work on the fund and also do the technology re- research for the broader portfolios at Janus Capital. Okay, uh, great. Well, one of the questions, you know, just to jump right in, is you know, how is this earnings season, the second quarter earnings season, sort of, sort of so far shaping up for you know the biggest tech companies? I know in the in the fourth quarter earnings season, first quarter were a little bit rougher, uh, especially the uh, the fourth quarter earnings season. Yeah, the earnings are always this this funny collision of expectations and reality, and um, you know, I think. This has been a pretty good earnings reporting season for the technology companies that we've seen report so far. That's typically more a factor of what the expectations were, were going into the quarter than, than what was actually reported. You, you know, as we know, the, the stocks move more on the long-term numbers than, than the short-term over time. But I do think after a couple of um, more challenging quarterly reports, maybe expectations were a little bit lower uh, I think certainly if you've gone into the quarter saying, you know, Apple was going to report double-digit declines in in phones and the stock would be up, that that would have been a um, right, right. You know, potentially difficult statement to make, but that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I want to talk about some of the things going on in tech within the company, some of the trends. But one of the trends, and to, to get Corey into this here, Corey, because you wrote a story about this, is, is one trend with tech stocks, this will be interesting for investors, is dividends. Yeah, it's pretty, I would think it's a little counterintuitive um, to think of going into investing in tech um, or some interest investing in tech as more further dividends lately. And it's interesting when we started, we started hearing about how, say, an IBM um, or HP have increased their dividends to the levels where uh, their dividend yield is the same as the average utility stock. It's it seems a little odd, but when we start talking to some dividend or some tech investors, they or managers of tech portfolios, they were referring us to their income fund managers, saying if you want to talk about IBM, you should talk to our income guys, um, hmm. which was was pretty interesting. It just shows how desperate people are for any sort of yield right now. Yeah. 
Brad, this is one thing that we've talked about um, previously, but how does the fact that like you have these large tech companies who are ju- still generating lots of revenue, lots of sales, but also now are paying you know um, big dividends, also doing stock buybacks, how does that sort of set them up for you know the rest of the year and going forward for investors? Well, what we look at is what you know capital allocation at a high level, uh, the stocks that do well over time over the longer term, tend to be the ones that have the best capital allocator-focused management teams and boards. And so when we look at companies paying a high dividend or doing significant share repurchase, what we want to know is what's that coming at the expense of? Where could that capital have been allocated instead? And I think what worries us the most about many of the legacy technology companies paying high dividends now is it appears to be sacrificing their future to do so. I think IBM might be a good example of that, mm-hmm. where uh, rather than go out and perhaps do the mergers and acquisitions that they should be doing or reinvesting more in the business uh, or restructuring the current business more, they've been overly focused on capital allocation, I think, uh, to the detriment of their, their long-term business prospects. Right. It's a company that uh, – what's their, their – is it, is it on the top line or the bottom line that they've had, you know, it's just a string quarters, yeah. Right. Of, of falling revenue or earnings. I forget which one it is offhand. I believe it's revenue. Yeah, of falling revenue. So, so you, you can see what, you know, what Brad is talking about there. Uh, let me get both of your opinions on this. Is this a situation, when you look at tech, I, I know we have a couple of companies that are absolutely gigantic and mammoth, and, and you look at the market caps and, and more and more you know, these tech companies are moving up in it. Uh, companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google just have you know collectively hundreds of billions of dollars in cash on hand. When you look at the tech sector, is it a situation where you have a handful of great companies that are paying out these dividends, that have all this money, that have all the profits, or, or is it more spread out? What, what does the tech sector look like? Well, well I think I, th- I think it is becoming you know we use the term power law where the the big get bigger and the the tail. Uh, spreads out, and I think we're seeing an extreme power law in the market right now, um, given the market cap of some of the, the bigger companies. Now, now, some of those biggest companies in, in the tech sector are actually some of the also fastest-growing companies that are reinvesting in their business at, at very high rates, uh, for example, with Alphabet. Um, and then if you go further down the list, after you get out of the top five or so, then you start to see some of these more legacy companies that are getting bigger, you know, the stocks are going up, the market cap's rising, more to do with their dividend yield and their share mm-hmm. repurchase than the, than the fundamentals of their business. And then in the long tail, we're seeing M&A activity really pick up. Um, we've seen a, seen a lot of very large deals uh, this year, uh, LinkedIn, Arm Semiconductor, NetSuite, Yahoo. Uh, we expect that could really continue so that these big companies continue to um, take in the smaller companies and, and get even bigger. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Brett, I had a question for you. Um, one thing when we were doing this story we were pushing up against was this kind of the attitude back in the late 90s from a lot of portfolio managers was that if you are if you're a company that's off, if you're especially a tech company that's offering a dividend, it's kind of like acknowledging your growth is behind you. You mentioned some concerns about maybe an IBM, but do you feel that that's a little... Do you feel that that's still kind of a thought process among some investors, that if you if you are a tech company offering a dividend, that you don't have much growth to offer, or is that too simplistic? I think it's a thought that, we, that I run across in Silicon Valley more than I do in the investor community. I think from an investor perspective, 
there's an appreciation of balanced capital allocation. I do think you'll you, you will meet um, you know management at some large tech companies that are growing very quickly, reinvesting in the business, and from their perspective, when they think about capital allocation, a dividend or share repurchase is just very low on the list of of high return mm-hmm. things to do. So I do think there is some element of the more dividend focused you are, the more mature your business is. But I don't think that translates in, into any kind of investor stigma about those those stocks necessarily. Well, yeah, and, and it's funny, too. I mean, if you go to Silicon Valley and you go to a place where people are obsessed with unicorns and startups and, and the, the myth of, you know, the company that began in the garage and it became mm-hmm. blah, 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 uh, it's almost like value is a dirty word. But for investors, for Brad, especially you can speak to this, you know, most investors, the average investor does not have a chance to buy into a startup. They just don't. So is it really a bad thing to be investing in a tech stock that is that is stable and has a record and, and has enough money on hand to pay out a dividend? And I mean, should you really feel like, oh, I'm buying a value tech stock? Oh, that's so, that's ugly. Yeah, no, I think it's... Uh it really depends on on the on the company, and I think there are a lot of companies out there right now where people are buying into uh, you know three percent or higher dividend yield, making a huge mistake because the equity will be at risk when those revenues start mm-hmm. clocking down five or ten percent a year. This, mm-hmm. the, the, particularly in legacy enterprise technology, where the shift to the cloud is happening way faster than I think anybody anticipated, including the cloud companies. And I think we're just going, I think, you know, this is the the tipping point year. We're going to start to see those legacy on-premises enterprise technology revenues start to take a, a real hit over the next few years. And if you're sitting there complacent, you know, company paying a dividend, investor collecting that dividend, I think there's a lot to be concerned about with some of those stocks. Yeah, you know, on that note, let's take a break because we have to. Uh, and we'll come back after this, and and I wanna I wanna start talking about that about the cloud and some of these strategies where, where stocks where these companies are going in the next couple of years. We'll be back after this. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free for All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free for All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and check us out at WSJ. WSJ.com slash podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. We are in the studio with Corey Drebush and Brad Slingerland. Uh, Stephen Grosser, I believe you have a, a question. Well, this sort of builds off of what you were talking about, Paul. Um, Last year was a record year for tech M&A. You saw some of the biggest deals, but a lot of those were around the semiconductor industry. How much are we seeing and, – and this year's gotten off to a, a very strong start for tech M&A. How much are we seeing that so spread and uh, be like more you know, sort of a widespread and not focus on just one industry? I mean the cloud obviously has seen a number of deals this year so far. Yeah, I do think we're seeing it spread out. You're right that semiconductors and the hardware – sector of the technology markets led the M&A trend last year, and that was really a reflection on several management teams recognizing the mature growth of the semiconductor industry overall, as was historically grew at multiples of global GDP and is now growing closer to to GDP itself. 
that it was time to deploy capital allocation as a strategy to grow. And I think that's a bit contagious um, across the tech sector, as you see management teams realize that that may be their best bet in terms of growing free cash flow, given how low rates are and given that, that growth is slowing everywhere. Um, that said, we still expect semiconductors to, to consolidate, and we mm-hmm. saw a big example of that recently with ADI and Maxim. Right. Um, but I think it is spreading out into the software space and, and really spreading out across across most areas of technology. And, and the reality is when investors look at stocks, we use, you know, we use a discount rate. We determine what the company is going to make over the next decade or so and discount that back. And if you're a company that's going to buy another company, your discount rate is a lot lower than me as an investor. So if I'm using a 10% discount rate, uh, you know, ADI can use a 5% discount rate because their cost of capital is, is so much lower. And I think that's what we're seeing play out is this is really driven by low interest rates right now. Hey, hey Brad, uh, you had mentioned cloud computing before, and there's always a couple of big buzzwords in the tech sector, right? And cloud computing, it's interesting. It was really big. It kind of went away. Now it's come back because you have companies like Amazon clearly making money at it, Microsoft moving into it big time. So so cloud computing is one. Uh, Internet of Things is another. How do you sift through what is just hype versus what is somebody actually building a, a profitable, investable business? Yeah, under, underneath the buzzwords is what we see is just a very real and significant platform shift. So we've moved from the legacy of a room full of servers and, and a bunch of laptops and computers to uh, you know what we call the third platform of IT, which is cloud-based uh, computing on the back end and smartphones and thinner letter laptops on, on the front end, as well as Internet of Things, so this idea that anything that can be connected to the Internet should and will be connected to the Internet over the next decade. And so this is creating a model where we move from, you know, tens of millions of servers and hundreds of millions of PCs to billions of smartphones and tens of billions of uh, Internet of Things connected uh, everyday items. And I I think the buzzwords will probably continue to shift over the next decade, but the reality is that the platform transition – started. It's now well underway. And I think it's largely still underappreciated by the market that this this platform transition is, is going to happen and is going to have such a big impact. Who do, you, who do you think is doing well at that transition? Well, Amazon, with their Amazon Web Services, is, is the clear leader. If we just right. look at pure cloud infrastructure, uh, which is a multi-ten billion dollar industry today, probably going to a multi-hundred billion dollar industry uh, over the next few years, Amazon has 85 to 90% market share, depending on, on whose data you look at. Wow. Uh, Microsoft is a distant second mm-hmm. at between 5 and 10%, and Google is, is uh, coming in, in in the back at just a few percent, although I'm making, I think, a very significant effort there. Um, beyond that, you have the vertical, uh, vertically-focused um, software-as-a-service cloud software companies like NetSuite, which was just acquired by Oracle, companies like Workday, Salesforce.com, ServiceNow, uh, even Adobe, as they've shifted their business to the cloud, I, I think really understand what's happening and are really poised to take advantage of this shift. You know, the, the IT market, IT spending is, is over $2 trillion a year, and we've seen 20 or $30 billion shift to the cloud, and we think all of it will shift over the next decade. So, so this is a, a huge transition that's going on. I think there's some stat where, and I could be wrong on this, but it's like 
Amazon's cloud business makes up about 10% or less of its revenue, but like was over 50% of its profit this quarter. Yeah, yeah that, that may be more of a reflection on the, the Amazon philosophy of uh, yeah. the rest of the business low right. margin, but, but you're right, it, it is a very, very significant It does seem like it's almost like the cloud yeah. computing kind of became a mistake. For, not a mistake, but like it's sort of Amazon stumbled upon it in some ways because it doesn't fit that normal profits don't matter. Yeah, and Amazon <laughs> is a perfect example of now one of the largest companies in the world growing very significantly with, with multiple investments yeah. across multiple product in- initiatives. And there's a company that's going to sit around at the board meeting thinking about capital allocation and, and dividend is just not going to enter their lexicon because they've got so many great opportunities to, to spend money on. No, th- one of the things I, I find fascinating, and this is something I you know wrote about a, a bunch last week, is we're almost at the point where the five biggest companies, uh, publicly listed companies in this country, are going to be essentially tech. I know Amazon technically isn't in the S&P's tech sector, but I mean, it's it's pretty amazing how they've they may come have to, to move dominate. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if web services keeps growing, they may have to move it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, I think, it's, sorry, I think if, if with a little bit of a wink, if you include the fully diluted shares of Amazon and Facebook, we're, we're probably talking about the yeah, that's five true. largest companies mm-hmm. all being tech companies. Um, but I think that that speaks to this power law that we're seeing. The, the, you know, the nature of the Internet is it's driven by network effects, which is this idea that you know, the bigger you get, the better you are, and the better you are, the bigger you yeah. get, and the flywheel continues. And I think we're seeing that kind of vertical by vertical across everything that the internet has an impact on is that it's creating these network effect driven power laws and we're you know I think we're actually going to see it outside of the tech sector as well I think across every sector of the economy we're going to see the companies embracing the internet embracing the internet of things get bigger and bigger um, you know General Electric is a good example of that you know which is sort of post the financial crisis turned into a largely old line focused industrial company but has built a multi billion dollar recurring revenue software business which is increasingly becoming a large portion of GE's value. And I think that positions them to take market share and become bigger and bigger in the industrial segment. Well, yeah. And I think we're gonna see it in, in across retail, across financials, across healthcare. I uh, talking about the enormity of like a Facebook and Amazon and how much they've grown, uh, we saw that last year where they famously helped lead the NASDAQ and S&P higher, and they're up a lot this year as well. Does that get concerning when just a couple, kind of the concentration of gains, um, obviously they're showing real growth with sales growth, but do you get, does it get to the point, like even a Netflix last year was doing so well and then this year has struggled to get worrisome. And, and most of those companies were also struggling up until like the last month, yes, too, that's also other true. than Facebook. Yeah, I think it comes down to what we would worry about with Facebook or Google is how much market share they have taken in the advertising sector. The reason those companies are so big is because they have taken, uh, you know, or continue to take market share away from TV uh, and away from other forms of media that are less digital. And at some point, you get to a point where they're taking so much market share, they could create their own problem. And I think that that would be the concern more with those businesses on a fundamental basis. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but I think there's a point where, uh, you know, just, you know, things just sort of break when, when two companies are control all of the world's advertising dollars. You know, 10 years from now, it's an unlikely scenario. So I think we'll see, 
you know, pauses and accelerations in the advertising market as it shifts to digital. But I think both of those companies are, are riding a, a real wave of digital transition for, for Alphabet and for Facebook. You know, it, it's interesting, too, and I don't know if I'm actually going to formulate a, an intelligent question here or if this is just a comment, but, you know, you talk about large cap, you know, the, the market cap being dominated by these tech companies, uh, companies like Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, you know, that, that core is when I do not pay a dividend. Traditionally, the largest companies always paid a dividend. I mean, because they were they grew to the largest size, they were responsible, long, you know, older well, business. They pay, Now they're not. But they're still being valued like the companies that used to pay a dividend, which is, the, you know, I just wonder what that really says about what the what valuations really are fundamentally in the marketplace in this day and age. And I don't know if that's a comment or a question, but if you guys want to address that. Well, I mean, if you looked at the largest company over the last since 1980, you know, by market cap, it's either largely been IBM, GE. Mm-hmm. Exxon. Or Exxon, yeah. and now Apple, right. and briefly before it's broken up, uh, AT and T got in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean that does speak to you know these are large companies that paid big dividends, right? But, but now they're but, but now uh, it's it's that's changing. Yeah. The marketplace is rewarding companies that don't pay dividends. Well, one of the things I I mean one of the things I was, wanted to move from like the large companies was to the fact that like we're talking about you know the the success of these large tech companies, but this also comes at a time when a lot of there's revaluation going on with the startup um, you know in uh, tech companies, and also you have an IPO market um, where which has largely been stalled this year, um, especially for tech companies. And I was wondering, Brad, if you could talk a little bit about why. I mean, when the market's at all-time highs, you'd expect the IPO market to be more robust. Yeah, I mean, um, I'd say don't get me started on the IPO market, but um, <laughs> I think we just did. Yeah. You know, I think there there is um, a real problem, which is companies are getting acquired in the tech sector, and new companies aren't going public, and that's feeding into all these other existing companies getting bigger and bigger because the capital has to go somewhere. It's still invested in the stock market. People aren't taking it out of the market, and so as our, our number of options shrinks, then the capital has to go get more concentrated and stocks and valuations have to rise. And I think that's kind of the story of the, the stock market right now. But the IPO market is, I think, speaks to something a little bit more fundamental, which is the stigma in Silicon Valley around going public. And I think it's just simply this misinformed and irrational decision to believe that the private markets are your lowest cost capital. And I look mm-hmm. across a lot of the big so-called unicorns, large private tech companies uh, in the U.S. that have chosen not to go public, that have raised significant amounts of money from the late-stage private market and what I think are high cost of capital relative to what they could have gotten in the public markets. And I think they're doing a big disservice to their company, to their employees, to their existing investors. And it, it really just stems from, I think, a, a misunderstanding that the market – is not going to allow them to invest and do what they think is right for the long-term value of their business. And I think that's just simply wrong. I think there's a lot of firms like Janus that are very long-term focused and we're very willing to allow companies like Amazon, like Netflix, like Facebook, like Google, uh, really invest in the future of their business and suppress short-term earnings for the long-term value of the company. And so I hope that we see the IPO market open back up, but I'm also not seeing any evidence that that that, that will be the case. I mean, even LinkedIn, which is 
you know, the, the, the chairman has criticized, I think, the, the IPO market and the public markets. I mean, this was a company that had a successful IPO by all measures and, uh, you know, saw their shares go from, I think, the mid-40s to over, you know, well over $200 in, a, in a, just, you know, four or five years. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, Reed, Reed Hoffman, who's the, the founder and uh, chair of LinkedIn, has said publicly he felt the markets, stock market didn't allow them to make the investments in R&D that they wanted to. Um, I think he's a really smart guy and a really great guy, and I, th- I think he's just wrong about this. I think he's misanalyzed the situation. LinkedIn was, was, was slated to spend over a billion dollars in research and development this year. Um, was growing quickly. I think certainly had the room over the long term to spend even more if they wanted to, and could explain why that made sense to to shareholders. And I think it's, from my perspective, a cop out for for him to to blame the public markets for for how they run the company. Um, you know, public markets don't run companies. Managements yeah. run companies, and they can make the decisions they they want to make. And I think uh, I think this is just feeding into this misunderstanding of in Silicon Valley right now of how the, the public stock market works. Well, What's going to change that? I mean, if this year doesn't, with how few IPOs are going and changing valuations, what, what will it take? Well, many of these private companies are not making money and are not going to make money for a while based on how they're, they're managed. And they will find a liquidity crisis happen mm-hmm. in the late-stage funding market because there isn't that much mm-hmm. money available in that market relative to the public markets. And so their hand will be forced at some point. And from my perspective, they should go public from a position of strength, not from a position of being forced to down the road. And I think at some point we'll, we'll see a breaking point. But I also think we're just going to see a lot of M&A uh, because, because the big public companies that aren't growing – need to find a way to grow their free cash flow, I think we'll see a lot of these companies exit via the, the M&A market as opposed to going public. And that, again, leaves us with this, this same issue of uh, having fewer and fewer companies to invest in and the, the big get bigger. Well, and, and, is, and I, look, I know I was actually just a second ago waving my finger saying that we have to wrap this up because we do have to wrap this up. But I think you might have just hit on it. Like, is it, you know, people, uh, private companies griping about the public markets, is it really that the public markets won't allow them to do what they want to do? Or did you just hit on it, the fact that these companies actually aren't profitable? And, you know, I've spent some time out in Silicon Valley, and I know that, you know, no one will ever say it, but an actual business model is to build something buzzy, get a high valuation for it, and then sell it before you ever actually have to show a profit. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of these. I think a lot of them are real, real businesses, and just time. it's just time that they need to reach maturity and scale. But we do certainly come across a lot of great ideas that aren't great businesses. Yeah. And I think it has been in – I think the failure has not been the public markets – allowing companies to invest long-term. The failure, failure has been the venture capitalists who have not advised their portfolio companies on how to build a profitable business. And mm-hmm. I think that's the, the problem that needs to be solved. And I think, I think you're right. I think we need to see these businesses focus more on um, the business side of the idea rather than just the creative side of the idea. It's got to be a balance of both. And that's how you build a really great franchise. That's how you build Amazon or Alphabet or Facebook or Netflix is yeah. by focusing on both. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Let's leave it there. Brad Slingerland is a portfolio manager at the of the Janus Global Technology Fund. Thanks for your time, Brad. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Corey. Thank you as always for coming on. Of course. 
And uh, before I let you go, folks, I just wanted you to know, for more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have a lot of great offerings for you out there. We have Your Money Matters, the free-for-all, Speakeasy, Heard on the Street, the Tech News Briefing, WSJ Opinion. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and you can become a subscriber. Yes, you can subscribe to WSJ Podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and we are also on your Google Play Music app on your Android devices. Everyone, thanks for listening, and we will catch up with you later this week. I'm impressed he got through that. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.